You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, your name is great. The name of your Son, Jesus Christ, is great. It's the name, the name in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that your Son is Lord and to your glory, Father. So God, we come to you right now, Lord, asking that your spirit who dwells inside of us, your spirit who inspired the word of God would would give us clarity so that we would be able to hear it and receive it, to believe it, and then to be able to live it, Lord. I pray that you'd be with your servant right now, God. I pray that you would allow me to faithfully teach what is found in your word, Lord, and help me myself to live it as well. So Lord, we ask that you would be at work in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. Happy Father's Day. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now with copies of God's Word. So just raise uh, your hand and they'll pass one along to you. Uh, The SS United States is one of the best known vessels in U.S. military History. It was uh, finally constructed in 1952. It was a project that went back into the 40s in terms of design and construction. And once it was finally built, it was the fastest, most state-of-the-art warship. And it could bring thousands of soldiers from one end of the world to the other at breakneck speed, at speed that was really unheard of at the time. The thing about the SS United States is that it was never once used to carry soldiers. Uh, Shortly after it was, uh, uh, the construction was complete, it was given a, a new job. It became a luxury cruise liner. And so bunk beds that would have had, you know, very a simple um, surroundings for, uh, for soldiers became luxury, um, a condominium style uh, apartments with king size beds and there were swimming pools and there were galleries and restaurants and all of this on this ship, the ship that was specifically designed to mobilize people on mission became just something that was a, 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 a toy for luxurious enjoyment of a privileged few. Now, why do I talk to you about some ship that was built in 1952? Here we are in 2017. Not very few of us are serving in the military. We're thankful for those who are. But what is the relevance? Well, as as we think about this state-of-the-art ship that was designed to mobilize people for accomplishing a mission, we need to think about ourselves. We are about to, in two weeks' time, to move into a state-of-the-art facility that is designed for a purpose, that God has entrusted to us for a purpose. The purpose of that facility is to mobilize people for mission. The purpose of that facility is not for us to sit back and relax and to enjoy it, but to allow God to use this very powerful, very state-of-the-art, very beautiful tool that he has entrusted to us to fulfill our mission. The title for today's message, we're in the Trusting God for More series, is Trusting God for More Mission. Trusting God for More 
mission. We've been thinking about as a church, as we prepare for this massive transition, we've been looking at other transition moments with, for the people of God in the Bible. We started with, with Abraham, and he needed more faith as he left his homeland and went to the promised land. And then Moses had all of these excuses and reasons why he wasn't God's servant or the one that God could use, and Moses needed more obedience. And then Joshua on the brink of entering into the promised land. Joshua needed more courage. And David wanting to entrust the construction of the temple to Solomon needed more generosity. And then last week Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 needed more humility to be protected from the hubris of, of Uzziah and being filled with pride and arrogance. He had that vision of the holiness of God. And today we're going to come to the moment where the disciples of Jesus Christ are standing face to face with their risen Lord and Savior, and he is going to send them on mission. Now, when we're talking about trusting God for mission, I don't want to give you the wrong understanding that there wasn't mission involved in Abraham or in Moses or Joshua or Isaiah. Jesus is going to give the great commission, but what Jesus is about to say, he's about to say, go make disciples of all nations. Well, if you go back to Abraham, he was called so that he would be a blessing to all nations. And Moses was called to rescue the people out so that they could be a holy priesthood as a nation. They would represent God to the rest of the world. And in Isaiah, right after Isaiah had that vision of God, last week we studied Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 7 where God shows all of his holiness and Isaiah is broken and says, I am ruined, and he confesses his sin. And then God sends the seraph with the burning coal and offers forgiveness. The next verse, God says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. You see, the mission that we're about to talk about today, the mission that Jesus clarified for the disciples is the mission that goes all the way back to the story of Genesis. And so let's pick up the story, Matthew 28, verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now just, just stop and think about that for a second. There were eleven of them. Look around this room right now. Look at all the people who are here. It started with eleven. Think about all the other churches that are meeting in the city of Brampton right now. It started with eleven. Think about all the different churches that are gathering in God's name across this great nation. Think about the whole globe. Think about the centuries of church history. It started with 11. Jesus had all kinds of crowds around him all the time, but he didn't call the crowd to give the commission. No, he was just looking for 11 committed individuals to be all in. And here at Harvest, we are not concerned about the quantity of people that are coming to our church. We are concerned about their their commitment to obeying and following. Listen, the world has been forever transformed because Jesus gave a mission to 11 people. We are here right now because though, though that small group of people was faithful in fulfilling their mission. Now, if that's what God can do with 11, what could God do with all of these people here right now? Think about it. God is, is challenging us today to be reminded of the mission that he has entrusted to us. To show how committed these guys were, it says that they went to Galilee. Now that just seems like an everyday sort of detail. But Jesus rose from the dead in Jerusalem. And his initial appearances were all in Jerusalem. But he told them, he said, I am going to Galilee. I want you to meet me there. 
It seems like a small little detail, but we forget that Galilee was 120 kilometers north of Jerusalem. It's a three-day walk. It would like me saying, hey, we're going to have a barbecue up on Wasega Beach. Walk there. I'll meet you. They were, they were committed. They didn't say, you know what, Jesus, can't we just get this done in Jerusalem? We're already here. No, Jesus wanted it, the meeting to happen in Galilee where it all started. And so they followed him because they were committed. It says that when they saw him, they worshipped him. But it says some doubted. Maybe when they first laid eyes on him, maybe some of the disciples thought, oh, yeah, I'm not sure if that's actually Jesus. Let's get a little closer. Let's wait until he speaks to us. But I love the messiness of this. Some worshipped, some doubted, all were given the mission. You might be still sort of sorting some things out in your Christian life about what you believe. But listen, Christ is still willing to use you. He still called disciples, even though there were some doubts, even though they weren't completely clear. In that moment, Jesus said, I am calling you to this mission. I think everything became clear as soon as Jesus opened his mouth and they recognized his voice and they heard the way that he talked. And Jesus spoke to them in in verses 18 to 20. He says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what's called the Great Commission. And as we are moving from this facility to a new facility just a few weeks from now, we need to make sure that we are focused on fulfilling the Great Commission. We put it on a banner at the front of our worship center so that we're reminded this is why we exist. This is our mission as a church, to fulfill the Great Commission, to do what Christ commands right here. And in order to do that, loved ones, we need to be committed to three things. And I'm super helped by a pastor, a David a Platt, and his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. I just couldn't think of a better way to explain this passage than the way that he outlines it. And so I'm leaning heavily on his breakdown here. Here's the first thing we need to be committed to. We must submit to his authority. We must submit to his authority. The reason why David Platt's outline was so appealing to me is because his outline was just explaining what the passage said. And so Jesus said he has authority. And so in order for us to fulfill the commission, we must submit to that authority. Now we can't miss the significance of what Jesus is saying here. A lot of people have a lot of opinions about Jesus and they try to make up their own definition of who he was or what he's about. He's a, he's a moral teacher or he started a, he started a religion or he was the sort of traveling guru. People sort of create Jesus in their own image. But let's just be crystal clear about what Jesus says here. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. Jesus is essentially saying, I am king of the world. Not just because he's experiencing euphoria in the sea breeze at the front of the Titanic. No, he's stating fact. This is what Jesus believed about himself. And this is what is true about who Jesus is. All authority belongs to him. Now, we need to submit to that. Part of being a Christian is to recognize that Jesus has the name above all names, that he is the king above all kings, the Lord over all lords, that he is in charge, and that what he says on a topic or a matter or an issue is the final word. There are no ifs, ands, or buts. That he is in charge. 
And so Jesus is not just saying, I feel really great. I'm like the king of the world right now. No, no, no. He is stating the fact, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus had authority from the moment that he was walking on planet Earth. He had authority over disease. He could heal people. He had authority over death. He raised people from the dead. He had authority over nature. He calmed the sea. Jesus has inherent authority as being the Son of God. The word authority followed Jesus around throughout his entire ministry. Let me show you what I mean. In the Gospel of Matthew, he was teaching them as one who had authority. The thing that drew the crowds was that no one had ever heard anyone speak the way Jesus did because he spoke with so much authority. And then in Matthew 9, 6, Jesus says, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And how did he forgive sins? Well, in in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. This is how he can forgive sins because he was going to be the substitute for sins. He said, no one takes it from me. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And because he had authority to lay down his life and take it up again, and because he has the authority to forgive sins, he also has this authority in John 17, 1-2. Father, this is Jesus praying to God, our Father. He says, Father, glorify your Son. You have given him authority over all flesh. To do what? All flesh. To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the one who decides who gets into heaven, who receives the gift of eternal life. He has the authority to make that decision because he has the authority to forgive sins because he had the authority to lay down his life and to take it up again. This is the one who is speaking this command to us today. This is the one who has given us our mission. Opting out is not an option for us. Jesus has all authority. And it's his authority that, that lays the foundation for everything that he is about to say. So he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So because Jesus has all the authority and we must submit to it, jot this down secondly, we must obey his command. We must obey his command. We can't go looking for another authority or another savior or another Lord. He is it. He is the one who has the ability to forgive sins and to give people the gift of eternal life. And he has all authority in heaven and on earth. So we got to do what he says. And we must obey his command. He begins by saying, therefore. He says, go, therefore. Therefore is always pointing to what was said earlier. So go, because I have all authority, I am commanding you to go. And go and make Disciples. Now let me bring this, this uh, command up for you on the screen. Here's Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And what I've done uh, just here, I've just underlined all of the verbs for you. This is something you can do when you're studying the Bible on your own. You're trying to understand what a passage says. You can look, okay, these are the nouns and these are the verbs. So there's four verbs in this passage. Now, make disciples is the main verb. Now, in, so let's, let's highlight that there. So, in English, we tend to put main verbs at the beginning of sentences. In, in Greek, word order is less imp- important, and the structure of the word itself indicates what's the main uh, verb. So if we were to do this in English, we'd probably move make disciples to the beginning, and go is actually a participle. Just like baptizing and teaching, go would be translated in English as an ing word. So it would look more like this, make disciples going, baptizing, teaching. 
And so to summarize all of that, to put it on one simple outline uh, to, to show what this command is, let's go to the next slide. We are called to make disciples of all nations. That's the main command. That is the mission. We will know the mission is accomplished when there's disciples in every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's when we will know that the mission is accomplished. But the strategy to achieve the objective, the means by which we fulfill the mission, comes in three parts. Going, baptizing, and teaching. This is what we are called to do. It begins with going. Going is intentional. You, you have to go somewhere. You have to go across the street to your neighbor or you have to go and start a conversation with your coworker or you have to go on a plane to an unreached people group on the other side of the world. It requires intentionality. You have to do it on purpose. So it's intentional, but it's also international. We, we need to intentionally be reaching people from other nations that do not yet know Jesus Christ. This is what God called Abram to do. He wanted him to be a blessing to all of the nations. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had this incredible prayer night at our new facility, and uh, we just had biggest turnout in the history of it. Hundreds of people coming out to pray and, 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 and to worship, and what we did is we divided into uh, different groups, and we went to different areas in the building, and uh, one area was, was in the a worship center and praying for the preaching and the worship that would happen there, and then we prayed for the next generation in the children's ministry area, then we prayed for all the newcomers that will be coming in the foyer, but Pastor Chris led what I think was the most important part of the prayer meeting. He led a time of prayer outside the building. Now, they they didn't march around seven times and blow trumpets or anything like that. But what Pastor Chris did is he went out to a, the cul-de-sac, uh, or the, the parking lot, right, right at the end of 10th line, where you can see Highway 407, where you can see Highway 401, and we prayed together that wherever people who come to our church live, whether they live in Milton or Georgetown or Brampton or Mississauga or Orangeville or wherever, wherever they may come from, but they may leave with the purpose of making disciples wherever they are. And then we also prayed that people would go down Highway 401 and go up Highway 427 and go to Pearson Airport and get on an airplane and go to the ends of the earth to make Christ known to people who don't yet know him. That is why we are moving to this facility. Not so that we can be comfortable and huddle up ourselves and enjoy the padded chairs and celebrate that we don't have to take them down and put them away. We are coming to that facility not so that we can sit but so that we can get up and go. And so that there can be intentionality in our, in our fulfillment of, of the mission. So he says going. And then he says baptizing. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's one name but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a hint of, of the Trinity. That God exists as three uh, persons. So we, we, have, um, we have Jesus saying that people are to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus wasn't just saying just go out and, and, and get as many people underwater as possible. No, baptism was something that was loaded with meaning. It's not just a religious ritual. No, it's, a, it's an outward physical sign to show an inward spiritual reality. 
I've, uh, I've mentioned my best friend, uh, Alex Phillip, who's battling cancer right now, and, and he was, uh, please continue to pray for him, and he, he was a, a chaplain at a Christian school for, for well over a decade, just investing and pouring into the next generation. And he, talked to, he talked to a lot of young people about uh, baptism and about the importance of baptism, and this is how uh, my friend Alex defines baptism. It was so clear, it was so helpful. He says, baptism is a bath, a burial, and a birth. It's a bath, a burial, and a birth. First of all, it's a bath. It happens in water, which is the ultimate cleanser. And just like Isaiah, when he saw the holiness of God and realized his own sin, what did he say? He said, I am unclean. I need to be cleansed from my guilt. I'm dirty because of my sin. And so baptism is a sign of a, of a bath, but also in the way that someone is baptized. It's like a burial. They go down under the water where they're not breathing. It's like a death. And not only, not only do we need to be cleansed, it's just not that we need sort of, you know, a, a little bit of soap here and there or a quick rinse and we'll be fine. No, that our old way of living, our old way of thinking, our old way of finding our identity, all of that needs to die. So it's a burial. But then thirdly, it's a birth, that when you come up out of uh, the water. You're rising to newness of life. And just when Jesus was baptized, the Father said, this is my son. Now, you might not hear it audibly, but when we are baptized, it's, it's a reminder that we have been born. It's a birth into a new family. God is now our father. The members of our church are now our brothers and sisters. We have a new father. We have a new family. And so when we go out preaching the gospel, we preach the message of baptism. We preach to people about the, the guilt and the shame and the dirtiness they feel because of their sin. We tell them that there is this new opportunity for a fresh start. But it, it, you've got to be willing to have a burial. Jesus said, unless someone takes up their cross and follows me, then they, they're not worthy to be called my disciple. There needs to be a dying to self. But then we're also inviting them to the birth to say, you're going to be born into a new family. God, the creator of the universe, is going to be your father. And this loving church family is going to surround you and support you. That is what we do as we're preaching the gospel uh, to people. So it involves going, it involves baptizing, and thirdly, it involves teaching. Notice right there how Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If we're going to be faithful in fulfilling the mission... It's not just getting as many people baptized as possible. No, it's helping those people engage in learning and understanding teaching. In Acts chapter 2, when the first Christian sermon was ever preached, the people were cut to the heart. They said, what should we do? And so they, they believed, and so they were baptized. And then the next verse, that's Acts 2.41, then the next verse in Acts 2.42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves not just to understanding the content of what the Bible says, but the ability to live it out. And so we have a lot of content. I mean, just even thinking about things that Jesus has said. We need to understand what Jesus has taught about marriage, about sexual purity, about worry, about anger, about fear of man, about greed, about honesty, about our speech, about loving our enemies. But it's not just enough. Jesus did not say, go into the nations and, and make a bunch of hypocrites who have a bunch of theological knowledge but aren't living it out. No, he says, teach them to observe, to obey, to live out, to apply all that I have commanded. And so that is what we are called upon to do, is part of making disciples, is taking people who aren't yet disciples and, and, and 
sharing the gospel with them so that they become disciples, but the word disciple means learner. Jesus says, go into all the nations and make learners. Make people who will learn what I've said and then live what I've said. That's what Christ has called us to do. That's what I'm trying to do right now, trying to help us as a church. I'm trying to do teaching right now so that we can live out what Christ has commanded. But listen, it would be impossible for me, with the hundreds of people in this room right now, it's impossible for me to specifically apply this passage to your individual life. That's why we have small groups. Because small groups is an an opportunity where this week a bunch of people are going to get together in homes, talk about this passage, and talk about how does this actually apply in my life. And so your small group leader can, can help you think about what this actually means. There's questions, there's answers, and we mutually help one another. It's not just your small group leader that helps, it's the other small group members, and you yourself can help teach and help other people live out God's a command for us. So we've got to learn it and then we've got to live it. So my question to you is, are you learning how to obey all that Christ has commanded? Are you learning how to live out what Christ has commanded? Let's just start with what Christ has already said. Let's just work our way backwards. So we're supposed to, we're supposed to observe all that he's commanded. So he just commanded that everyone who's a disciple should be baptized. So let's talk about that. Have you been baptized? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ and have you made the decision to reflect the inward spiritual reality by the outward physical symbol? Because Christ commanded it. And have you submitted to his authority? And are you obeying his command? Believers in Jesus Christ get baptized. And so if you haven't been baptized, you need to go to the welcome desk. You need to put your name down and say you, you want to take that step of obedience to Christ. And then the, the main command is to, is to, is to go and, and to make disciples. So are you intentionally right now making disciples? Are there times and places in your calendar, in your schedule, where you are being intentional in disciple making? Are your everyday conversations reflected upon fulfilling the mission? Or are you caught up in civilian pursuits? You see... All of us need to think through where we are right now in our spiritual maturity, our understanding of the gospel. I mean, some of us are baby Christians. And some of us have been Christians for many years. But we need to think in terms of where we are right now and take another step of obedience. For some of you, you're living as a closet Christian. Maybe you've only been a Christian for a couple of weeks. Maybe you've been a Christian for years. But you'd never really tell anyone. And so for you, the first step is, I'm a Christian and I go to church, yo. And so you just need to start saying that more regularly. That's sort of step one. Just just stop being a closet Christian. Tell people who you are, that you are a Christian and that you go to church. Now the second step is I'm going to church and you're coming with me, yo. So then it's inviting people that, listen, you might not be able to explain it quite right yourself and you think, well, you know what, I'll just let one of the pastors preaching from the front, they can explain it. So you start inviting people to Church, But then the next step is as you grow in obeying Christ and seeing him work in your life, then what you need to do is find a quick way to summarize how you became a Christian. Everyone loves to hear a story. The Apostle Paul tells his story of how he met Jesus three times in the book of Acts. He couldn't stop telling people his story. And one of the ways that we are to make disciples is to simply tell our story of how we became a disciple. And so you just need to think about, just think about, just one word to describe your life before you were a Christian. 
one word about the gospel that really appealed to you, and then one word to describe how your life is different right now and explain how Jesus died for you, how you came to understand that. So you, you go from saying I'm a Christian to inviting people to church to now explaining why you are a Christian. Then the next step is to not just tell people how you became a Christian, but to explain to another person how they can do the same thing. To find a way, a bridge illustration or a Bible passage that you could walk people through to say, this is how you can have what I have. And, and here's what you can do in order to follow Jesus. I use the simple ABC. Admit that you're a, a sinner. Believe that Jesus fall, died on the cross for you. And then commit to follow him. And when you start doing that, when you start telling your story, and when you start, uh, when you start explaining to people how they can become a Christian, then comes the thing that everyone's afraid of, the thing that so often stops us from even admitting that we're a Christian. Then comes, as we start having spiritual conversations with people, then we get questions that we don't know how to answer. And so then we devote ourselves to the study of apologetics and learning how to have our speech seasoned with salt. And we grow in answering those kinds of difficult questions. And so we need to think about, so where are you? Are you here? Are you here? Are you here? Or are you here? And how can you grow in further obedience to fulfilling the great commission that Christ has given to you. We are moving to this new building, loved ones. And the other day I was uh, talking to a dear brother named Tony uh, Liebert. He was sitting uh, right over there at, at, the, at the first service. The, uh, Tony and Desiree have been with us almost right from the beginning. And he, he said to me, he said to me, you know what, there's a lot of seats in that new auditorium. And I said, yeah, that's true. He says, that means that's on us to do a lot of making disciples. And, and, and I just thought that is exactly the right heart that we need to have, is that we are, we are moving to this facility so that we would be challenged to, to be more focused on fulfilling the mission, inviting people to church, sharing our uh, faith with uh, people. So we've got to obey that uh, command. Now think about it. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a follower of Jesus Christ because someone chose to go. Someone was in a certain place and chose to go. Unless you were born and raised in Galilee, you are here right now as a son and daughter of the Lord because someone chose to go. If you're from Europe, the only reason why you are a Christian is because someone chose to go. If you're from Africa, it's because someone chose to go. If you're from any other part of the Middle East or from Asia, you are a disciple because someone chose to go. If you became a Christian here in Canada in a Sunday school classroom, well, that Sunday school teacher chose to go. And so there are, there's short distance going and there's long distance going, but all of us are called to go and all of us are involved in this mission of making disciples. This is how making disciples starts. It starts with going. Can we bring that up on the screen, the, the, the psychographic? It starts with going and then when you go, Someone's going to get saved, and then that person needs to be baptized. They know that they need a bath, they know they need a burial, and they know that they need new birth. And then once they're baptized, then that involves teaching. And if we're going to teach people to obey what Christ has commanded, then we're going to command people to start going. And then more going will happen, which leads to more baptizing, which leads to more teaching, which leads to more going. And this one, loved ones, is how we make uh, disciples. 
That is what Christ has called us to do. So maybe you've only been receiving because someone else has been going. Maybe you've been, been learning because someone else has been teaching. And it's on all of us at this season in our church and every day of our lives to be thinking about who is God calling me to go to? And how can I be faithful in fulfilling that mission? Now some of you are thinking, well that sounds super intimidating. That seems super scary. Well it was intimidating for those 11 guys on that day too which is why the next thing Jesus says is so vitally important. Look at verse 20 at the end. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jot this down thirdly. The third thing we need to be committed to. We need to be committed. We must rely on his presence. We must, we must submit to his authority. We must obey his command. We must rely on his presence. Jesus begins this, this final clause of the command by saying, behold. Now, behold is not a word we use a whole lot. It sounds kind of Shakespearean. Oh, behold. But do you ever say look in the middle of a conversation? You're trying to say some things, things aren't getting quite clear, and so you just sort of stop. You've been saying this, saying this, saying this, saying this, and then you say, look. Why do you, why do you say that? Because you really want the person to hear what you're about to say. Even if they missed everything else, you say, look. That's, that, that's, that's what Jesus is getting at here when he says, behold. He says, I want your attention right now. I want you to get this. I've been giving you a lot of information. There's some going, there's some baptizing, there's some teaching, all the nations, all of that. It sounds big. I can tell you're overwhelmed. Look. Behold. I want you to get this. I am with you to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the one who has all authority in verse 18, who told us to go to all nations in verse 19, who says that we're supposed to obey all that he has commanded in verse 20, and now he says, I am with you always. All, 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 all. He wants us to know that he will be with us always. Gospel, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 1 began with the statement that Jesus will be called Emmanuel, which means what? It means God is with us. That's the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Now the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, Jesus says, I am with you always. The God who is with us has promised to always be with us, even to the end of the age. And so every time we start up a conversation, every time we choose to go on a missions trip, Christ has promised to be with us always. As we think about Pastor Marv and Kim and their family uprooting and just moving 20 minutes down the highway and the people who are going to gather and join them, they are going, trusting in the promise that as they go to fulfill the mission, Christ has promised to be with them always. We had an amazing prayer meeting just, just, just last Sunday and it brought back so many memories of first moving to this area. And, and, and we had such a, there were 60 people at that prayer meeting last week. And the next one's happening July 8th. If you didn't make the last one, you got to get to the next one. And we are trusting in the promise that as we are going, we're never going away from God. We're never going from a place where he no longer has authority. No, he has promised to go with us. And as we ourselves are moving 15 minutes down the road to 77 10th Line West, we are going confident that Christ is going with us because he promised it. And he's faithful to fulfill his promise. Now listen, Christ has not promised that it will be easy, but he has promised that he will be with us. And I, listen, if I had to choose between easy and not with Jesus and hard with Jesus, I'll take hard every time. 
Because Christ is faithful. And how can we make sure, how can we ensure that Christ will go with us? We ensure that Christ will go with us because we will stay focused on the mission. We can ensure that Christ's presence will be with us as long as we are committed to making this. If our church becomes about something else, then we can't be sure that Christ is with us. But if our church becomes about making disciples, which is what he has called us to do, of all nations, then we can trust and believe that Christ is with us. So loved ones, we've got to stay focused on the mission. We are heading to a new location, but we are staying focused on the same mission. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, we pray that by your Spirit right now that you would be strengthening us and empowering us, Lord. There was, there was a daunting task that was in front of those 11 disciples 2,000 years ago. There is a daunting task that is in front of us, Lord. There are unreached people, unreached nations who are living in the cities of Brampton and Mississauga and Milton and Georgetown. And God, they're, they're across the street for us, Lord, let alone the people at the farthest ends of the earth who do not yet know you. And so, Father, all of us need to be obedient to this command. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to trust you that you are always with us. And because you are with us and nothing is impossible to you, we can go in faith. We can go in courage. We can go in obedience, Lord. And we can go trusting that you are going to work in us and through us to accomplish the mission that you have given to us. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.